Good, we're going good. Everything on? We rolling? All good? Okay, good. Well, we're going to begin, of course, with prayers. We always do. Um, tonight we're going to be in Exodus chapter 18. It's been a while since we've been in Exodus, so we're going to do a little review, catch everybody up. Some of you guys that are sitting close to the back, will y'all get up and shut them doors for me? And we will, uh, we will roll. We've got our prayer list in front of us, and um, we are going to pray for these people on our prayer list. Um, there's another one of our elderly ladies here at, at church that's uh, sick, and she's not on the prayer list. Uh, we'll be praying for her as well. So let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless our time together, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Father, we do love you, and we do come before you just thankful. God, as we uh, come out of uh, the 2022 year, at the end of, end of the year, where many of us have had celebrations of your birth and of the new year and family and just all of the things that, that go along with this uh, time of year, God, we, we just thank you. We thank you that we are um, we're able to come into your house and worship you, thankful that we have your word, thankful that we have your presence amongst us. Uh, God, we pray that you would speak tonight um, and that you're, by your spirit you would move our hearts, that you would tell us what you would have us to know in your word, not just, what, um, not just neat history lessons or what, what things that happen, God, but that you would move uh, in our hearts and that you would make us more like you today than we were yesterday and more like you tomorrow than we were today. Father, we just pray that you would be with us as we do read your word, and we pray that you'd make it clear and that you would help us to uh, rightly divide it. God, we have several people on our prayer list tonight. We pray first, God, that you would be with the building expansion as we look outside today and see that the slab's been laid, and God, we see progress moving forward. We just we thank you, Lord, for your providence and your blessing and your provision and your hand on us as we are uh, just attempting to be faithful to what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. God, help us to, uh, help us to remember that uh, th this, this time of, of transition and building is going to be inconvenient in a lot of ways, uh, but God, the end result is going to be an incredible tool uh, for us to use, for you to use through us, uh, God, to get the gospel to our community and to, to more people, to make disciples uh, to more people that you are bringing here in our midst. And God, we can't wait to see what you're going to do in this year. Lord, we do, do pray for uh, this young, young baby that we've been praying for for quite some time. Uh, God, we ask that you would watch over him. He's going to uh, be having surgeries at some point in the several months, but also, God, that there's some new developments. Lord, we pray that you would just, just minister to that family, God, that you would um, put your hand upon them, that you would give them the peace that only you can give in, in certain circumstances like this when our children are sick and there's nothing that really we can do, God. It's, we just feel helpless and we feel panicky and we feel worried, God. I pray that your spirit would just come and that you would just remind this family that you're in control and that you are the great physician, that you are the healer, God, and that you love that, you love that baby even more than they do. And so, God, we pray that you would just bless them with your spirit in the midst of all this. God, we pray for our, our sister. We actually have two ladies in our church that are, um, are sick right now. God, we thank you that it's not, uh, not super terrible. They're not in the hospital or anything, God, but we just pray that you'd bring healing to them, uh, as well as one of the ladies' brother is um, in the hospital and has undergone 
um, uh, a serious procedure. We pray, God, that you would watch over him, that you would be with him and bring healing to him. And God, for um, the son of one of our uh, uh, families here, God, who is in, uh, who's just been moved out of the hospital uh, today into a rehab, God, we pray that you would watch over him, that you would be with his heart, that you would be with his emotions, uh, that you would just keep him uplifted, God, that you would show your face to him, that you would uh, show him the, the work and the, the miracle and the, the healing that you are bringing to him and have brought to him and will continue to do so, God, and his recovery would be nothing short of miraculous, God. We pray that you would make your name great in his life uh, and that you would bless that family with peace in the midst of all this. We do thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and we uh, uh, to read your word and to study your word, and we pray that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Exodus 18, we're going to be just 1 through 12. It's been a while since we've been in Exodus. We've missed the last couple of weeks, and even, actually, we've missed the last three weeks because the week before we stopped for the holidays, uh, we had the youth do their, you know, their Bible quizzing. So it's been quite a while since we've been in Exodus. Anybody remember where we are in Exodus? Want to take a stab at the story so far? I know it's, it's been almost a month since we've been in Exodus. What was the last thing we looked at? Anybody remember? <laughs> so I just need to tell you, huh? Yeah, that's right. You go, Miss Betty. Look at you. The Amalekites. That's right. So we saw the grumbling in the wilderness. We saw God test his people with bread from heaven. We saw them grumbling again and God providing water from a rock. And then the defeat of the Amalekites as Moses was holding the staff and they were holding his arms. You remember all those things. Well, that was the end of chapter 17, Moses holding the staff and the Amalekites' defeat. Um, tonight we're going to begin chapter 18, and to be honest with you, I probably could have gotten through the whole of chapter 18, um, but I decided just to take 18 a little slower because of what we see here in the first 12 verses. In this, these first 12 verses of chapter 18, it, it really just tells the story of the conversion of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. And this is, it's important for, for a couple of reasons, really. First, I mean, what believer, uh, even in this room tonight, can't relate to having, having family members, friends, relatives that need to trust in the living God and, and how that comes about through, through evangelism and through our witness and all those things? So, so what we're going to see tonight is Moses tells Jethro of these things and he comes to faith in Yahweh um, is instructive for all of us as we see him try to convert his father-in-law. But secondly, it's important in the overall narrative of Genesis and Exodus because here um, uh, Jethro is, he is a Midianite priest that comes to faith in the one true God. And in Genesis, Exodus, as we've walked through these books, what we've seen is uh, God's promise to bring the gospel of salvation to the nations. And here we see a foretaste of that, of uh, a foretaste, a foreshadowing of, of peoples coming into the covenant community of God, of other nations 
coming into the covenant community of God. Remember way back in Abraham's day, God told him, but way back in Genesis, he said that the gospel would go to the whole world by saying, what he said was, in you all nations will be blessed. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 takes that to mean the gospel was preached to Abraham. And we saw all the way through Genesis that God's purpose was to, that his salvation would go to all the earth. And, and even in Exodus, when we saw the deliverance from Egypt, as we walk through all those texts and all those events as God brought his people out, you remember what God said he was doing and why he was doing it? So that all nations would what? would know that my name is the Lord, that I am God. And so here you see it beginning to happen. Jethro, this priest of Midian, is engrafted into the covenant community of the Lord by faith alone. He's not an Israelite. God's plan is being accomplished, and his name is going to all the nations. So let's read. Let's just read all 12 verses, and then we'll come back and take it apart. It says this. All right, advance it once for There we go. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one, the son, was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them from out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord. What is the translation when Lord is totally capitalized? Yahweh, blessed be, using the covenant name of God, Jethro says, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And then Jethro says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly, the gods dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, father-in-law, before God. Now there's a repeated phrase all through there. What is it? Father-in-law. What do you think the focus of this text is on? It's on Jethro. That's going to be important in just a minute. Now there's a lot here. So there's a whole lot to talk about here, and we're going to try to get through it. We're going to do a lot of discussion tonight because there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Uh, and what we're going to have to do is we walk through this text um, to get an understanding of what we're seeing here and what's happening here. We're going to need to recall a lot of things from earlier in Exodus 
and I realize we haven't been here studying Exodus in almost a month, so it's going to take a little reminding of things that have happened and what's going on. So let's just begin walking through it. We'll begin with verse 1. Um, it says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, does anybody remember the last time in Exodus that we saw Jethro? You don't have to quote chapter and verse. Just remember the time, what was going on the last time that we saw Jethro? It was when Moses was living with him. That's, that's correct. The last time we saw him was in way back in chapter 4, and God appeared to Moses in what? Burning bush, when he was shepherding Jethro's flock. And Moses, the last time we saw Jethro, Moses came back and asked Jethro if he could go back to Egypt, take his family and go back to Egypt, because God was sending him to Egypt to free the people and to tell them all those things. So here we're reminded, as Jethro enters the scene again, that Jethro was indeed a priest of the Midianites. Midian is where Moses lived with them. He was a priest of the Midianites. He was the servant, a servant of pagan gods. Uh, and we see, I think we see here that, that he's still a pagan because it's not till verse 11 when he says, now I know that Yahweh, that the Lord is God over all gods. So first we're told that Jethro heard about all the events that had taken place in Egypt. How do you think Jethro living in Midian would have heard about all of the things happening in Israel? There's a couple of different answers and nobody knows for sure how do you think that he would have heard these things? They didn't have telephones, didn't have email. By the grapevine. Yeah, travelers. Uh, that, that could be true. You know, Jethro, uh, merchants, caravanners, travelers. If you remember, it's possible. If you remember back in chapter 2, when Moses fled Egypt and he showed up in Jethro's household, um, they, they thought that Moses was an Egyptian because of how he looked. You remember? So they must have had some contact with some Egyptians at some point in time. And, you know, it's, it's not really far-fetched to think that news of this miraculous, earth-shaking plagues and all of the stuff that had happened had gotten around to the, the surrounding nations. But there's also another possibility. Like I said, we don't know for sure. All we can do is guess. But there's another possibility of how he heard. It says in 2 through 4, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he, Moses, had sent her home, had sent her back to Jethro along with her two sons. And he gives the names of the two sons. We'll look at that in a minute. So at some point in Exodus, Moses sent his wife and his kids back to Jethro, back to her father. Now, we don't know when he sent them. Uh, Moses' family, his wife and his two children, have also not been mentioned since chapter 4 when they were on the way to Egypt with him. Now, there are several possibilities. I'm going to give them to you, and then we can discuss which one you think is right. Um, he could have sent them back before reaching Egypt. Do you remember the episode on the way to Egypt where Moses became ill and his wife circumcised their son quickly uh, in order to save his life? Everybody remember that? Some of you? Yes. I'll tell you what, let's read it just so you can, just so you can remember it. Yeah, I know you love it so much. In Exodus 4, 24, it says, At a lodging place on the way, they were on their way to Egypt, the Lord met him 
and sought to put him to death. And remember, we were talking about who is him. Is it Moses? Is it Gershom? Who is it? Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched it to Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. That's the last time we hear of Moses' family right there. But the next passage in that text in Exodus 4 says, The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went with him, and he met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron of all the words of the Lord which they had sent him to speak and the signs that he commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And that's where the story begins of Moses in Egypt. So it's possible it, it, It's possible that you know Moses when he became ill and all that some people think that his family didn't continue with him to Egypt after that episode so Moses continued on met Aaron and then the wife and kids turned around and went back in fact the the midrash which is for lack of a better way to put it it's like an ancient Jewish commentary on the scriptures the midrash uh, claims that Aaron convinced Moses to not take them to Egypt because it was so dangerous. We have no idea if that's true or not, but it's possible. The second possibility is that he could have sent them back before the plague started. So they went all the way to Egypt with him, got ready, talked to the Israel elders, talked to Pharaoh, and when God said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to raise up your staff, you're going to turn the Nile to blood, and we're going to begin this, we're going to begin this circus that Moses sent them back then. Is that what he did? have no way of knowing. The third view is that his wife and kids could have just been there with him the whole time during the plagues. They could have left with the Hebrews as they came out of Egypt, uh, and he could have sent them back to Jethro after they reached the area where they are now, Sinai, after, you know, when all this stuff is happening, rock from, water from a rock and the Amalekites and all that kind of stuff. We aren't sure when Moses sent them back, but we know that they were sent back by Moses. Does anybody have a strong opinion on when? Does anybody think it matters at all? You have a strong opinion? Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. He said that the number one makes sense that they turned around after the circumcision incident. Uh, the second one would be seem like it would be a lack of faith that he would send his family away when he's there, you know, about to get these plagues started. That could be true. Exactly. That's the point, is how did he hear about all the plagues? She said if, if they didn't go with him to Egypt all the way, they couldn't have been the one that told Jethro about all the stuff that happened. And so that's where it's not a real, it's not a dogmatic, we must figure out who, when this was, but it, it affects the interpretation of, of how Jethro knew. It's not beyond the pale of possibility. They just found out through travelers and caravanners and all those kind of stuff. Um, but there are, there are big books written on when Moses sent his wife and his kids back to, back to Egypt and how that relates to the Bible being consistent and written by a single author, the first five books written by Moses and not four or five other people in different times. Uh, I just wanted you to see that there are, there are very simple explanations to these questions. 
the fact that we don't know exactly when it was doesn't make it contradictory or make it mean that it was written in different times with different people who all all of those things all of those things don't don't really don't really contradict at all. Any questions, comments, cries of outrage? Okay. So then in this text, he reminds us of the sons. Anybody remember what Gershon's name means? It's been a long time since we talked about Gershon. Stranger, stranger in a foreign land. That's why he says that. And here for the first time, we've never met this other son. For the first time in Exodus, we're told the name of his other son that was born in Midian. His name's Eleazar, which means, which means God is help. And it's why it says, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So what you have here basically in these introductory verses is just who they are, what's going on. Jethro heard about all this stuff. And in verse 5, it says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons, with Moses' sons and his wife, to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Jethro is bringing Moses' family back to Moses at the mountain of God or at the region of the mountain of God. They have been at the region of Sinai, where, the, where Mount Sinai is for a bit. I know it's been a while and we don't remember this, but in verse 6 of the last chapter, verse chapter 17, Moses was told to strike the rock at Horeb uh, uh, and water would flow out. Horeb is used interchangeably in the Old Testament for Sinai. So Horeb is the region of Sinai. So they're pretty close to the mountain of Sinai now where you know, we're in chapter 18 where the Ten Commandments are going to be given at Sinai. How do you think Jethro would have known where this is at all? Like, I'm coming, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Horeb, I'm going to go to Sinai, I'm going to go to where you are at the mountain of God. How would he have known? Nobody? Uh, actually, it's a region, so... and. and there's debates about where the Mount Sinai actually is, but the, the region is there. They knew where it was. I don't know where it is. Man, that's pretty good. I hadn't thought of that either. That, that might be true. She asked if he could have seen the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud from a distance. I hadn't thought of that either. That's, he could have. You remember where Moses saw the burning bush? It was on the mountain in, in Horeb, in the region, a region there close to Sinai. So Jethro, and he was, he was shepherding Jethro's herd there when he saw the burning bush. So Jethro is obviously sort of acquainted with this, sort of familiar with this area. And Jethro's coming to unite, uh, reunite Moses with his family. But what really gets me and why I inflected my voice every time I said the word father-in-law, you know, when we read the text... What really gets me about this, think about this. Let's pretend that we know that Moses sent his wife and kids back at the start, before they ever went to Egypt. Let's, that seems the most likely. We don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, but it seems the most likely. So Moses has not seen his wife and kids for a long time. Or even if they left before the plague. It's still been quite a long time. Lots happened since then. And in this text, which Moses is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when they get together, it says, verse 6, And when he sent word, Jethro sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. Moses went out to meet who? His father-in-law. And bowed down and kissed who? His 
him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Like, can you imagine Zipporah standing there like, what am I? Where, what are you doing? You know, I, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that there was a reunion, but Moses is writing this, and it seems like he is focusing heavily on his father-in-law, not on the reunion with his wife and with his kids. Moses greets Jethro by, of course, bowing down before him and kissing him. I'm sure, I'm sure there was a heartfelt reunion with the, the family, but that's not the focus of the text here. The focus is the love and respect that Moses has for his father-in-law. It's almost like, you know, I'm bringing your family to you, but Moses, who is writing this text, he focuses on his father-in-law and their relationship with each other. They you know, honored him, he respected him, bowed down, he kissed him, and they asked each other, how are you doing? How, are, how is everything going? And then they went into the tent. Why is the focus on Jethro and not telling us the story of their reunion, huh? Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I think, I think Moses' intent in, in providing this story is to show us the conversion of Jethro. Uh, not that he doesn't love his wife or his kids, not that there wasn't a tearful reunion or anything. I'm sure that there was, but the focus of this passage is on the conversion of his father-in-law. That's why the word father-in-law goes over and over and over and over and over and over again all through this text. It's to show us his conversion. And how does this... You know, we call it evangelism, but it's not really evangelism, but it is kind of because he's converting him to the worship of God, the true God, the one true God. You know, how does it begin? It begins with honor and respect and love. Jethro sends word that he's coming with uh, the wife and kids, and Moses goes out to meet him with this display of love and affection. Ordinarily, like a great chieftain or a leader of the people in that time, in that era, would wait in his tent or wait in his palace to receive a guest, even an honored guest. But Moses goes out to meet Jethro. And you might think, well, he's going out because his wife and kids are out there and he's missing them. It doesn't say that. It focuses on Jethro. Moses goes out to meet Jethro as an act of honor to his father-in-law. And this is where Moses' evangelism of his Jethro begins. And it's also where our evangelism of everyone, our family, our friends, our loved ones, our neighbors, even strangers has to begin with gentle, respectful, and being loving in the midst of those things. You remember what Peter said about being ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you, but to do so with what? Yeah, gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. What are some ways that we can do that? What are some ways that we give a defense for the hope that lies within us, but to do so with gentleness and respect? It doesn't mean that we silver tongue and sugarcoat the truth. It doesn't mean that at all. So what are some ways that we, we make a defense for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and respect? Come on, any will do. Yeah, you can give them your testimony, that's for sure. What else? Yeah, find some common ground. Sure. Sure. Make them comfortable. Huh? 
invest in them, yeah? Like turning, you know, uh, investing in relationally, I'm assuming that you mean, relationally, yeah? Show them that you love them, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and how does that work with, and it, you're right, but is that difficult sometimes when you've got, you know, Cousin Eddie, who you've, who you've witnessed to 800 times over the past 15 years, and he's tired of hearing it? And how does that play, how does that play with that guy? I mean, how do you show love and respect to them in, in an effort to witness, knowing that your witness is not going to receive, be received, uh, or, or, ho- or hoping it will, but knowing that in the past it never has? How do you do that? Yeah, you show by your actions. Sometimes you, you, you love them where they're at. You know, you don't love them. You love them where they're at. You don't condone their sin. You don't condone their lifestyle. You don't condone their rejection of the gospel. But, but it, it's possible to love them and give them the truth at the same time. And I think that's where this begins. I mean, it, it, it's... it's, it's Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Everybody hear that? He basically just said that's what Moses did. He showed love. He showed respect. He went out. He... He bowed, I mean, this is Moses, the leader of these people. He bowed before his father-in-law. He kissed him. You know, it doesn't say he kissed his wife and his kids or hugged. He's talk, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he did, you know what I mean. I'm not saying he's a bad dad. I'm just saying the focus is on how he is reacting to this man who he is about to witness to, who he's about to tell the truth of God. Right. Right. He didn't tell he didn't tell Jethro. Now Jethro, yeah. You ought to know now God is the only true God, you heathen pagan. He didn't do that. He showed him love, he showed him respect. He will tell him the truth. He won't sugarcoat it and he won't all that stuff, but but he did with gentleness and respect begin this this um this this encounter with his with his father-in-law. Yes. Maybe. Sure. Sure. So uh, Ms. Sharon basically pointed out that it was really patriarchal society and giving deference to Jethro rather than the family, probably. Uh, but you got to think, you know, you got to think Moses loved his wife and he loved his kids, you know. So we're not saying that. It's just, it really struck me that, okay, we're going to have this family reunion. And then nothing is said about the wife and kids at all. It's all about the father-in-law. That's true. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. 
So this man, Jethro, was probably like his father, like the only father he had ever known, you know, the, the man who had helped him. Forty years he stayed there with him and raised under his household, lived under his household. Yes. Right. Probably so. I hadn't thought about that. Man, y'all are doing good. Y'all need to teach this deal. What am I even doing up here? <laughs> he said that uh, he said Jethro was a priest in Midian, probably a man of importance, probably a man who's used to being honored, and Moses was treating him how he was he was accustomed to being treated. Um so in verse 8 then, it says, Then Moses, they went into the tent. We're not told anything about what happens with mom or the boys, but Moses took his father-in-law, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way, which means on the way to where they are now, and how the Lord had delivered them. The word delivered is the same word just translated saved in many places. How the Lord had, it means delivered them from Egypt, of course. Notice that Moses didn't tell him about what Moses had done or what happened through Moses. He tells them what the Lord had done and tells him what the Lord had done for the sake of his people, for the sake of Israel, it says. He probably spent several hours telling uh, Jethro, all that had happened between Exodus 4 and Exodus 17 through the whole thing of God's power and His glory and His works of the plagues that happened in Egypt, the confrontations with Pharaoh, how God delivered Israel and conquered Pharaoh and conquered e Egypt's army. But notice also what he says. He doesn't skip over all the troubles and the hardships either, does he? It says, he told them about all the hardship that had come upon them in the way. You know, he told them that probably what they had endured in the wilderness as they had been coming to Sinai, coming to the region of Horeb, probably told, I, I can't think that he wouldn't have told them about maybe the unfaithfulness of Israel several times, the grumbling of Israel, the, the testing God had put them through with the giving of the manna and, and all of those things. Do you think it's important to tell people about the difficulties and the struggles of following Christ when we're evangelizing? <laughs> Not a road of rainbows. Yeah, I got a friend, he always says, it ain't all puppy dogs and rainbows, man. Why is it important? I agree, it is important. Why is it important? To... Uh-huh. Say it again. Trials and tests. Trials and tests. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you don't tell them the whole truth about what it means to follow Christ, they'll get, uh, it's basically like a bait and switch, you know. Hey, you come to Christ and everything's great and you're going to feel so good and it's going to be awesome and you're never going to have no trouble and... It's a lie. I mean, it's just a bold-faced lie. You're going to have enemies that you didn't have before. You're going to have the world, the flesh, the devil. You're going to have all kinds of things. Have you ever heard that story about Ray Comfort tells about the airplane and the parachute and giving the gospel? Everybody heard that story? 
He says, just real quick, I'm not going to take much time because I don't have much time left. He says, he, he, he talks about giving the true gospel, showing your condemnation under the law, condemnation of sin, and the reality of the, the gospel, salvation, and walking in Christ. And he likens it to two men that are flying on an airplane. And he says, the one man, um, he is the stewardess, walks down the aisle, and she says, uh, sir, you would be so much more comfortable and so much happier if you just wore this parachute the whole time that you're here on the plane. And so he says, okay, well, if I'm going to be happy with it and I'm going to be comfortable, it's going to make my flight better, then I'll put on the parachute. So he puts on the parachute, and all of a sudden, people are looking at him. Why is this guy wearing a parachute? And they start laughing at him, and they start ridiculing him, and he starts, what, what is this guy doing? And then here comes another stewardess with the coffee down the aisle, and she spills coffee on him. And finally, he says, this is stupid. And he yanks the parachute and pulls it off, says, I'm not happier, I'm not more comfortable, and this is not what I signed up for. But... Another man, the stewardess comes up to him and says, Sir, um, at, at 22,000 feet, uh, we're going to push you out of the plane. And so here's a parachute. It's going to save your life. Well, in that case, he's like, I don't care who's laughing at me. <laughs> I don't care who's laughing at me. I don't care what difficulty it is. I don't care if it's uncomfortable. I don't care what happens. This right here is going to save my life. And so that's the difference between giving somebody a feel-good, health, and wealth gospel that can't prove true in a fallen world and giving somebody the true gospel saying through many hardships you will go through this life, but this will save you in eternity. Um, that's the difference between, that's the reason why we tell people the whole truth about what it means to follow Christ, why we should follow Christ, and what it looks like to follow Christ. And so we have hardships, we have difficulties, we have times of unfaithfulness. And Moses, I think, it doesn't say all that, it just says hardships, but I think Moses told them the whole story of how they came to be here. So ultimately Moses told Jethro not how Israel came back to God or found God, but how God saved Israel. Huh? Mm -hmm. That's my wife right there. I didn't know if y'all knew that. She said, isn't that the gospel? Girl, I'm proud of you. Yes, that is the gospel for sure. No, I'm not going to do that no more. But that's right. That's, that's the point of our message, isn't it? Being a witness to who God is and what God has done to save. That's the gospel, that's the message, that he gave his son to die on the cross for my sins, that I might be seen as righteous in him, not having a righteousness of my own. And in the remaining verses, as we're running out of time, the remaining verses, we basically have a detailed account of Jethro's response to Moses's, I call it evangelism, it's not technically evangelism, but you know what I mean when I say that, of him seeking to convert Jethro to the one true God. Now, remember who Moses is witnessing to here. A Midianite, a foreigner, a priest of pagan gods. And here in these next verses, you see him converted. It says, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them, he'd saved them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, 
Blessed be the Lord, using the covenant name of God. Blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. you got to understand how miraculous Jethro would see this. This band of people with no training, with very little weapons, I mean, this... It's a people that have come out of Egypt that are not an army. They're just these, and they've defeated the greatest army in the world at the time. They haven't. God did. I mean, it was just so miraculous. And the first thing Jethro does is rejoice. And notice the text. Notice the actual wording of verse 9. He wasn't just rejoicing about hearing about this news. He was rejoicing that this thing had happened. Do you see it? He said, and he rejoiced, not because I heard of all these things, but for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and then describes it in delivering them. He rejoiced because God had delivered them from Egypt. God had powerfully saved them. And then he praised the God of Israel using the covenant name of God, saying, blessed is Yahweh. Blessed is the Lord who delivered you from Egypt. Make sure you see this. Jethro wasn't converted way back in chapter 4 when Moses came to him and said, hey, Jethro, I just saw this burning bush and God, Yahweh, spoke to me in this bush and told me to go. Uh, He probably thought this God that Moses was talking about was just another God among all the other pagan gods. But here he is converted by, by hearing of the work of God and seeing the deliverance that God has powerfully done uh, through Moses to bring Israel out of Egypt. The gospel indeed involves our personal testimony. Let me tell you how I came to faith in Christ. It involves that. But God's work in the gospel is an objective fact. It is what God, the message is not, let me tell you how I came to know the Lord. The message is this is what the holy God has done to save you. He has given his son on a cross. That is the message that is the power of God unto salvation. And yes, it's accompanied with our personal testimony. But to give our testimony, you know, I was on my living room floor and God just really broke my heart and it was just... You know, I was crying, and I just gave my life to the Lord. That's great. That's wonderful. But you haven't told them the gospel yet. You have to tell them about Jesus, what God has done, the work that he has done to save his people. It isn't about how we feel now that I'm saved. You know, life has just been grand, and everything's great, and I'm just... It's okay to say those things, but that's not the gospel. It's about what God has done to save us. And that's what Jethro says here. Now I know because I've seen what God has done, and he's heard the testimony that Moses had given him of what God has done in the salvation of Israel. God's work in saving, God's work in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, the cross and resurrection, it's a fact of history. It's a fact and a reality. And it is the work of God, the power of God into salvation that delivers. Back in Exodus 9, right around verse 16, God said that he would deliver Israel so that his name would be known in all the earth. And here, what we see is the beginning of that being. Ha- there are already people that are not Israelites that are with them, that came out of Egypt with them. But here you see 
the priest of the pagan religion in Midian becomes a follower of Yahweh. And, and it's here in God's act of salvation, in God's deliverance of his people, Jethro sees the power and the love of this God who is over all other gods, who is the only God. In the last two verses we'll read, he says, Now I know that the Lord, that Yahweh is greater than all gods, because in this affair, in these events that Moses has told him about, they, meaning the other gods, the Egyptian gods, dealt arrogantly with the people. So the idea is, I think, that, that all these other gods were oppressing Israel and they were doing through, so through their followers, which were the Egyptians and Pharaoh and all the gods that Pharaoh worshipped and all that stuff. And now he's saying, now I know that there are no other gods, that all those gods are not greater than the one true God, your God, Yahweh, the covenant God. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Jethro comes to understand what the Egyptians didn't, what the Amalekites didn't, uh, what many of the tribes in Canaan won't, is that Yahweh is Lord of all, greater than all of the other false gods that they have been worshiping all this time. Now, he's heard, now he's seen the work of God in salvation. And this priest of Midian, who has spent his whole life serving and worshiping pagan gods or false gods, now in effect renounces his pagan past and trusts in the one true God. He says, now I know. Now it's clear that Yahweh is God over all. And then this is really amazing. Jethro, the priest of Midian, himself comes and offers worship to this true God. He brings sacrifices and offerings. And then we see this Midianite priest not only confessing the true God, not only bringing worship to the true God, but we see this Midianite priest being accepted by faith into the covenant community of God. That's what you see here in verse, verse 12. When he brings his offerings, he brings his worship to the one true God after he has confessed the one true God. What you see when it says Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law. Look at it. Before, in the presence of God, all the leaders of the nation of Israel came and they joined with the priest of Midian in a covenant meal in the presence of the one true God. They eat this meal before God. It, it, what it is, is it's signifying that he is now formally admitted into the people of the Lord. Moses' family is not mentioned as coming to this meal. It's Aaron and the elders of Israel who come in now that he has trusted in the one true God, offered his worship to the one true God, the, elder, the leaders of Israel come in to share this communion meal with this Midianite. Midianites were the ones who, remember, they, they sold Joseph or they bought Joseph uh, and, and brought him to Egypt in slavery. Later on, if we get there, we're going to see the Midianites raid Israel during the time of Gideon. These were not friends of God's people throughout the Old Testament. But here you have the priest of Midian 
who are the enemies of the, God's people, brought into the covenant community who worship the one true God. And how is he brought in? By grace, through faith in Yahweh. Way back in Exodus, we see God's hand saving those who, who trust in him, bringing them, bringing Jethro into the worshiping covenant community of Israel. And the same thing holds true today. By faith in Jesus Christ, the covenant salvation of God, trusting in the truth of that gospel, the enemies of God from all nations are not only forgiven, but adopted into the covenant community of God. And like Moses, our call is to go and tell, to make disciples of all nations. Questions, comments? Nothing, huh? Sweet. All right, well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that even just all through your scripture, we see this united story of your covenant love, your salvation, your, your gospel going forth. God, and, you know, we, we need to not resonate with Moses and with, uh, with the people of Israel in this story. God, we were once enemies of God. We were once your enemies. We were once dead set on doing things our own way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has gone our own way. God, and we can revel in the fact that you have come and you have saved us through the death and the burial and the resurrection of your son. And you have brought us into this covenant community, this family in where you have adopted us and you have redeemed us and you've called us by name. God, let us never get tired of hearing that. Let us never get used to that. Let us never take that for granted, that the, the miracle, the, the, the wonder that you, would, that you would call us to yourself after we have sinned so much and that we are just eat up with our sin. God, we pray that you would just give us the realization of the wonder and the awe of that glorious truth, which is the foundation of all of our discipleship, all of our growth, all of our uh, striving to follow after you. It's all founded in that perfection that you have given us, that righteousness that you have given us through your Son. God, help us to rest in that. But God, as we rest in your righteousness, help us to also see the urgency for those that are around us that don't know you, that at any moment could step off into eternity without knowing you. God, just this week we saw a young, young athlete that almost, almost stepped off into eternity and whose life was almost taken in a fluke thing. Who would have ever thought, God, life is fragile. Help us to see the urgency all around us of the people around us, family and friends and neighbors and strangers and all of the people that are around us. God, we have the message of salvation because it is your message. Help us to see the urgency of giving that message, of, of revealing who you are and what you have done to provide the way, the truth, and the life so that we can come to you as sons and daughters of God. God, I pray that you would give us a burning in our heart in 2023 to see others come to faith in Christ and be saved. Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to be your instruments and to be used by you, and we do love you in Jesus' name.